Welcome to the America's Workforce Radio Podcast, the flagship production of the American Workers Radio and Podcast Network, where organized labor and its never-ending fight to protect the rights of the American worker come first. Now, presented by LIUNA, Laborers International Union of North America, here's your host, Ed Flash Ferens. A long-time ban on project labor agreements about to come to an end in San Diego. Meanwhile, more child labor violations coming to light. And today on the show, the latest from the American Federation of Government Employees and the United Steelworkers. Welcome to the Friday, February 23rd edition of America's Workforce, where we're available on at least five platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, and Pandora. We have two guests on the show today. We're going to start things off with Mr. Arnold Scott. Arnold is the 6th District National Vice President of one of our sponsored unions, and that would be the American Federation of Government Employees, AFGE.org is their website. And the first thing we're going to talk about is a possible government shutdown. We touched on this topic yesterday with Bill Samuel of the AFL-CIO. And here's Here's what's going on. The House of Representatives last week, this was on February 15th, they uh, decided to leave Washington, and they're not coming back until next Wednesday, leaving just three days to avoid a partial government shutdown. Now, the last time we had a government shutdown, it was not pretty. It was 35 days, and this is when Donald Trump was in office, so... Arnold's going to reflect on that and how they are preparing for a possible shutdown. We'll also talk about a pay raise for federal employees. They're pushing for a 7.4%. And uh, recently, the entire union, American Federation of Government Employees, had their legislative conference. And uh, there's a couple of issues we'll get in on that as well, including black history. This is still Black History Month, so we'll touch on that and see how AFGE is uh, actually uh, showcasing a number of black leaders throughout the labor movement. So Arnold Scott's going to be our first guest. Roxanne Brown will be joining us on behalf of the United Steelworkers. And I'll tell you, she's a fireball. She is currently an international vice president at large, where she oversees the union's public policy and legislative agenda, as well as its political work. Roxanne has spent more than two decades advancing policies on Capitol Hill and with regulatory agencies on behalf of USW members. She has extensive experience in manufacturing, environmental, and energy policy. She has testified on workers' behalf before the International Trade Commission on Capitol Hill and before state legislatures. She represented the union with global policymakers. That includes the U.N. Framework Convention on climate change. Roxanne also helped advance legislation to strengthen U.S. defense procurement laws, ensuring the tens of thousands of union members, including the combat vehicle manufacturers at Local 7687, which is in York, PA, and the shipbuilders at Local 8888 in Newport News, Virginia, so they can continue to arm and equip our military. Roxanne also led the USW's work on the American Clean Energy and Security Act of 2009 
in 2002, she helped coordinate a 20,000-person rally in Washington, D.C., calling on then-President George W. Bush to protect the steel industry from foreign dumping. Roxanne Brown serves as a vice president on the AFL-CIO Executive Council and was a founding steering committee member of the Blue-Green Alliance, and she's also a member of the Coalition of Black Trade Unionists. So we'll talk a little bit about black history. Also, uh, key policy wins last year and going into this year for the union and how the union is educating their members about those policy wins. So important. Got to connect the dots here to show when you are very active, especially in politics, and you get good policy, everybody needs to know that. And that's one of the problems right now with the, uh, with the Biden administration because in the first two years, I talk about this on the show so much, so many good things happening, and then it kind of ground to a halt when um, conservatives took over the House of Representatives, and they kind of just changed the talking points. So it's important that we focus on that and continue to build on the good jobs that actually happened and are happening now. And now a brief look into the world of labor. This segment brought to you by Boyd Watterson Asset Management. $17 billion in assets under advisement, serving the needs of Taft-Hartley funds, corporations, public funds, endowments, foundations, and religious organizations since 1928. BoydWatterson.com. Good news out of San Diego where the San Diego City Council has passed a project labor agreement, thus reversing a longtime ban on these pre-hire collective bargaining agreements. Now, the PLA covers projects with construction value of at least $5 million over the next two years and will then include projects with a construction value of $1 million or more starting in July of 2026. That is substantial. Congratulations to the uh, building trades there. The PLA, as you know, establishes conditions of employment, minimum wage requirements, and safety protocols for the city's capital projects. It also sets goals and provides incentives for the hiring of what's called targeted workers, including unhoused people, formerly incarcerated workers, and undereducated workers. The agreement also states that the city, the San Diego County Building and Construction Trades Council, and the labor unions must work together to ensure that the PLA's provisions do not inadvertently establish impediments to participation for smaller construction groups. So there's a lot of details there, but hats off to the... uh, San Diego County Building and Construction Trades Council. An Alabama roofing company paid $117,000 and some change in penalties following a U.S. Department of Labor investigation into the death of a 15-year-old worker. 15 at its work site. The Labor Department determined that Apex Roofing and Restoration, LLC, employed the minor in violation of a child labor law prohibiting minors from engaging in dangerous jobs, including roofing or construction. Meanwhile, a Popeye's franchise, this would be in San Francisco, they're going to pay a $212,000 fine after 
the Department of Labor, found the restaurants employed children as young as 13 years old. The Labor Department's investigation found that minors worked outside the hours permitted by child labor laws and the employer withheld overtime wages. Unbelievable what's going on. This issue is amazing. In fact, uh, next week on the show, we are going to feature the uh, Child Labor Coalition. They've been doing a whole lot, calling attention to the abuses of child labor and the possibility of the Biden administration adding a whole lot more money, about $100 million in enforcement. The Guardian is reporting that the British Union GMB has accused Amazon of union busting in its Coventry, England warehouse. Now, ahead of a planned Valentine's Day strike, Amazon posted flyers on warehouse bulletin board saying, we want to speak with you. A union wants to speak for you. Another poster read, before you vote or join a union, we encourage you to seek out the facts for yourself. The best relationships are the direct ones. Well, workers at the Amazon warehouse are primarily asking for an hourly wage boost, and GMB has been seeking formal recognition at that location for at least the past year. Now, the union withdrew its original application for recognition after Amazon brought on about 1,000 new workers. The union said the influx of workers was meant to dilute its majority. Now, Amazon says, oh, no, we didn't do that, claiming the workers were hired as part of normal business operations. Now, you may be familiar with this union, GMB, which represents workers across sectors from its 2016 employment victory which held that UK Uber drivers were workers and not independent contractors. And that decision was upheld by the UK Supreme Court. Amazon having trouble all over, especially when you bring the union in. All right, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, Arnold Scott with the American Federation of Government Employees. This is America's Workforce. It takes Lyuna to build North America's infrastructure. From roads and bridges to schools and skyscrapers, the men and women of Lyuna, the Laborers International Union of North America, build the projects we depend on. From constructing the Freedom Tower on the site of the former World Trade Center to untangling Washington, D.C.'s congested interstate, Lyuna members do the work that matters. Find out what it takes to be built by Lyuna at lyuna.org. That's L-I-U-N-A dot org. The Alliance for American Manufacturing is a nonprofit, nonpartisan partnership formed back in 2007 by some of America's leading manufacturers and the United Steelworkers. Their mission is simple, strengthen American manufacturing and create new private sector jobs through smart public policies. Keyword there is smart. We need to be smarter than ever in today's highly competitive world. The Alliance for American Manufacturing believes that an innovative and growing manufacturing base is vital to America's economic and national security, as well as providing good jobs for future generations. Good jobs today, good jobs tomorrow. Good American jobs. Find out more at AmericanManufacturing.org. 
There is unity and strength for workers. We are the USW. We are the USW. The, the United, United Steelworkers. Steel the largest industrial union in North America. We represent 850,000 members in, in the, the US, US, Canada, Canada and, and the, the Caribbean. Caribbean. We work in metals, rubber, chemicals, paper, oil refining, atomic energy, and the service sector. We are steelworkers, standing strong and fighting for what's right. America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the International Federation of Professional and Technical Engineers. You can find more at ifpte.org. Union members need to be heard. Reliable and convenient union voting has never been more important than it is now. Make voting easy for your membership by working with survey and ballot systems. SPS offers encrypted and monitored solutions that ensure your elections are accurate and accessible for every member through mail-in, online, and in-person voting. Visit surveyandballotsystems.com and take the next step in getting secure and auditable elections. America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the Heat and Frost Insulators Labor Management Cooperative Trust. Find out more at insulators.org forward slash LMCT. Now, back to America's Workforce. Here's Ed Flash Ferens. And remember, you can check us out on Facebook or follow us on X, formerly known as Twitter. That would be AWF Union Podcast. By the way, this next segment brought to you in part by the Ohio Federation of Teachers. You can find more at oh.aft.org. Let's go to uh, line number one and welcome back to the show. We've had this guy on many, many times. His name is Arnold Scott, and he is a 6th District National Vice President of the American Federation of Government Employees, afge.org, for complete updates. The 6th District encompasses Ohio, Kentucky, and Indiana. We're talking 15,000 members strong. And... Uh, the first thing on the mind of many of those members, are we going to shut down the federal government? Last time that happened, it wasn't pretty. Arnold Scott, welcome back to the show. Thanks for joining us today. And uh, here we go again. It, it seems like um, these lawmakers, well, they met last week and then they decided to leave because, well, we got the President's Day holiday. They're coming back next week. And I guess the deadline is a week from today. So Arnold... How are we preparing for this? This has got to make you kind of antsy right now, doesn't it? Yes, Flash. It's, it's getting on. Uh, I know it's getting on every federal employee's nerve because, you know, it seems like every couple of months uh, we have the threat of a government shutdown. You know, I think Congress needs to come back to Washington, D.C., and they need to do what they primarily get paid for is to pass a budget to fund the government. I mean, this March 1st deadline is a partial shutdown, and then March 8th is another partial sh- shutdown. And, you know, uh, Congress just needs to pass, stop passing continuing resolutions and pass a budget. So, Arnold, how, how is this affecting the membership here? I mean, this is ridiculous what's been going on here. And I remember the last time, and that was a 35-day shutdown, there were a lot of public sector workers. Well, they had to work. They didn't get paid. Some of them didn't have to work, but they had to go on, on assistance. Some of them went in uh, food lines and everything. So, as for morale, this can't be very good. 
It's not good for the morale of Flash. And you know what I keep trying to remind people is that these people are your next-door neighbors. They're just like any other person. They live from paycheck to paycheck, and they have bills that they have to pay. And when the government shuts down, what it does is you have workers that they uh, call essential workers, and those people who are essential workers are required to come in and work, even though they are not getting paid. And the ones that are non-essential, I mean, they want to come in and do their job because while they're off, their work is getting backed up. Uh, and, you know, like I said, they have uh, bills that they have to pay. And, and you know, the, these uh, creditors, uh, well, they're not too forgiving, some of them, when you don't pay your bills on time. Not at all. Uh, so in the meantime, I know you're pushing for a pay raise for federal employees. And, and we should point out, too, many in the public sector, they are definitely below the level of pay in the private sector. Uh, and sometimes the benefits are better, but the pay is not. And I understand you're looking for, what is it, a 7.4% pay raise? Talk to me about yeah. that, Arnold. Yes, we're looking for a 7.4% pay raise, as you know. Last year, uh, federal workers got a 5.2% pay raise, which was the largest raise that federal workers have gotten in 40 years. I mean, after years and years of pay cuts and freezes, uh, they finally got a 5.2. Uh, but still, even with this 7.4% uh, pay raise that we're asking for, federal workers are still... 27% behind the private sector, even with the 7.4%. And you know, in, a, in order to attract the best workers in the federal government, I mean, we need to close the pay gap between federal worker and private sector pay. Boy, that's a big difference there, Arnold. 27% less. 27% less than private sector workers in the, in the government. So where do we stand on this issue right now? Is Con I, I know it's tough getting anything through Congress right now, but uh, what are you hearing? Well, we've got Representative Connolly and Senator uh, Schatz, who has uh, introduced uh, legislation uh, for the pay raise, what it was called the FAIR Act. And, you know, we're asking people to call your congressman and call your senator and uh, ask them to uh, be co-sponsored on the Fair Act. Uh, and, and, you know, what people need to know, just a little background, back in 1990, Congress passed the Federal Employees Pay Comparability Act, which was called FECA. And what it was supposed to do was to close the pay gap between the federal worker and the uh, non-federal workers. So uh, this is this is something that didn't just start. It's been going on forever. So that was 1990. I mean, that was, what, over 30 years ago. And it's supposed yeah. to close. How, how, come, how come the gap is still at 27%, though, Arnold? Well, the problem is that 
over the years, you kept getting pay freezes, and in the in the private sector, the pay kept going up while we were getting the freezes and getting the one percent and the two percent pay raises. Their raises were kept going up, and so it uh, it hasn't uh, has resulted in this twenty seven percent or less. Arnold, you mentioned that a lot of people have been leaving because of that pay gap, and I'm sure there's other issues, too. I mean, the previous administration was uh, was not friendly to government workers, especially union government workers. But uh, can you quantify that? I mean, have you been seeing a lot saying, hey, enough is enough here. I, I can't make ends meet because of this. This is a pay situation. Well, I, I can't. I don't know what the numbers are. But I know that in certain jobs within the federal government, people can go outside of the federal government and they can make a whole lot more than what they make as federal workers. You know, what I say all the time is that most of the people who work in the federal government, they're dedicated workers, and they do the work because they love what they're doing. And... uh I mean, they're they're dedicated and commit committed to uh, getting the job done. Arnold, if you don't mind, I want to share a quick story. My wife was uh, talking to a Social Security representative. This was just yesterday, and uh, she said, "I can't believe how well trained these folks are." I mean, they walked her through the whole process, and they you know, and they record everything too to make sure that you know they get everything accurate as possible. But uh, she, uh, when I came home yesterday, she said, I can't believe the conversation I had. That was so good. And I said, well, you know why? <laughs> She's probably a member of the American Federation of Government Employees. I, I know I know. there's a, a lot of members there that are very well trained. They do their job so well. And uh, she couldn't be more pleased. So that's what goes in to, uh, to workers like that. And uh, it's so important that people realize that because there's so many well, you know, with this political divide in America today, a lot of government workers are just shunned. They're saying, oh, they're lazy. They don't do enough and blah, blah, blah. But it's just the contrary. I'm sure you've been hearing a bunch of stories like that over the years, haven't you? Yeah, I sure have, Flash. And you know what? Uh, hmm. That individual that your wife talked to was a uh, AFGE uh, employee because we represent all of the uh, – uh, Social Security offices in Ohio, Indiana, and Kentucky. So mm-hmm. uh, she was talking to an AFG member. I, and, I figure and, that. I figure that as much. Speaking of which, the uh, the commissioner of Social Security, Martin O'Malley, was at the uh, American Federation of Government Employees Legislative Conference, which uh, wrapped up just last week. You know what? Let's take a quick break because I want to talk about that conference. I also want to talk about black history. Arnold Scott joining us on our live line today. He is the 6th District National Vice President of the American Federation of Government Employees, and that includes Ohio, Kentucky, and Indiana. We'll continue with Arnold. Later in the show, Roxanne Brown will be joining us on behalf of of the United Steelworkers. Back in a few minutes. This is America's Workforce. More shows available at awfradio.com. It takes Lyuna to power North America with affordable energy. 
The men and women of Layuna, the Laborers International Union of North America, have the skills needed to build and maintain oil, natural gas, nuclear, solar, and wind projects that are shaping America's energy future. From new energy tech to retrofitted facilities, Layuna members do it all. Find out what it takes to be powered by Layuna at Layuna.org. That's L-I-U-N-A. Attention members of the Heat and Frost Insulators Union who are interested in traveling. Central Ohio has more construction projects on the books than anywhere in the U.S. Mega projects, large and medium-sized jobs are creating more work than our local 50 brothers and sisters can handle. Projects like Intel, the Honda LG battery plant, and multiple data centers for Facebook, Google, and Amazon offer union wages, overtime, exciting incentives. Local 50 is seeking union travelers to meet the needs of its signatory contractors who can put you to work immediately. If you're a member in good standing and interested in the work opportunities in Central Ohio, visit insulators50.com forward slash AWF travel for more information. America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the Ironworkers. You can find more at ironworkers.org. America's Workforce appreciates our sponsor, the Columbus Central Ohio Building and Construction Trades Council, who represents more than 18,000 workers from 19 affiliated local unions and district councils. There is unity and strength for workers. We are the USW. We are the USW. The, the United, United Steelworkers. Steel the largest industrial union in North America. We represent 850,000 members in, in the, the US, US, Canada, Canada and the, the Caribbean. Caribbean. We work in metals, rubber, chemicals, paper, oil refining, atomic energy, and the service sector. We are steelworkers, standing strong and fighting for what's right. America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the International Brotherhood of Teamsters, where you can find more at teamster.org. This segment of America's Workforce is brought to you by Survey and Ballot Systems. SBS has been providing unions with secure and flexible election options for over 30 years. Visit surveyandballotsystems.com to learn more. America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the United Auto Workers. Find more at uaw.org. Now, back to Ed Flash Ferrens with America's Workforce. And remember, you can check us out on at least five platforms. That includes Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, and Pandora. And when you get an opportunity, here's what you do. Just sign up and receive our shows on a regular basis and give us a rating. We always appreciate it. Those five-star ratings, so please keep them coming. By the way, this next segment brought to you in part by the United Labor Agency, ulagency.org is a website. I've got to give another plug here before we go back to Arnold Scott about this documentary, which will be premiered in Cleveland, Ohio on Monday. We had uh, Carl Chris on the show on Tuesday, and uh, do check out that show. You can get some details on what this is all about. That was on uh, Tuesday, what was the date on Tuesday? The 20th of February, awpodcast.com. Carl was talking about the flame that went out back in the 1990s when all the steel companies in Cleveland, Ohio, just went belly up. There was bankruptcy after bankruptcy after bankruptcy, but uh, they all came back. And this documentary showcases the workers that went through that struggle. You can get tickets right now. RelightingTheFlameFilm.com, RelightingTheFlameFilm.com, and this will be at the Capitol Theater at 1390 West 65th Street, which is on the west side of Cleveland. And Dave McCall, president of the Steelworkers, 
will uh, be in the audience along with the CEO of Cleveland Cliffs and Scott Paul of the Alliance for American Manufacturing. So uh, hopefully you can check that out, and uh, we'll talk more about that down the road. But uh, congratulations to Carl Chris for what he was able to put together there. Let's go back to our live line rejoin Arnold Scott on behalf of the American Federation of Government Employees. Arnold, I was reading on, uh, on the website about your legislative conference. I-, I heard it was very, very well attended. And there was a first. This is kind of interesting. And, I, and we've had this lady on the show, Doreen Greenwald. She's president of the National Treasury Employees Union, which represents a lot of the IRS workers, also uh, border security. I mean, very, very big union, much like AFGE. And uh, that's kind of cool. Uh, I was wondering, what was the takeaway of that conference? Also, Terry Melvin. Here's another one that we had on the show from the Coalition of Black Trade Unionists. But uh, I would imagine uh, you got a little fired up after that legislative conference, right, Arnold? Oh, yeah, we got a little fired up. Um, and, and, you know, one of the things that really uh, stuck with me is how the unions are working together to uh, to accomplish some of the legislative uh, stuff that we have to accomplish. It's, not, it's no longer just AFGE and the fight by itself, you know. You got... Uh, NDU in the fight with AFG and the uh, uh, the the airline uh, stewardess union. I mean, it, it, was, it was phenomenal. Uh, and just to, I mean, just to, just to hear the perspectives of all the unions, and it was it was great. It was mm-hmm. great. I just want to let you know that Everett Kelly, your president, was on this show appropriately on President's Day. We, we decided to salute union presidents instead of American presidents. And uh, Eric Dean of the Ironworkers was also featured on that, that show on Monday. But uh, I mentioned Social Security in the last segment that Martin O'Malley, now the uh, Social Security Commissioner, did he talk about the future of Social Security at that conference, Arnold? Oh, yes, he did. He talked about the future of Social Security, and he talked about how he wanted to lead the agency. And the uh, Social Security employees that were there, I mean, they were excited about uh, what he was proposing to them and what he had done so far. So I think he's going to be a great commissioner. Social security. Good. A lot of people on social security and you always hear, Oh, well, we got to maybe do some cutbacks here. And, and we have a partnership with the Alliance for retired Americans. I know they have a big fight on that issue because there's talking about a fiscal commission where, where you have a, a, a several people that can chop, chop, chop and uh, well, we, no questions asked. That's the sad part about it. That's, that's another, another story here. You know, flash what we say is that we don't want any of these uh, commissions, you know. Uh, that's not what we want. We don't want mm-hmm. commissions. We, because it, it doesn't get anything done. Martin O'Malley said the same thing. So Okay, good, good, good. Well, if you don't mind, I want to switch gears here a little bit and talk about uh, Black History Month and what the American Federation of Government Employees has been doing to showcase various black leaders and and the 
and the, the struggle for, for racial and social justice in America. And as you know, Arnold, it's ongoing. Can we, uh, can we have a discussion on that? Yeah, we sure can, Flash, because you know what? I am proud of AFGE because uh, AFGE is the most diverse uh, labor unions. And, you know, predominantly the board is made up of, of black females and, and black males. Uh, and, and, you know, I am, when we go other places, people notice that diversity that we have. You know, uh, front lines in the fight for economic and racial justice from the days of the March on Washington. And uh, you can be sure we will continue to keep the fight for a more just United States, one that is for the people and by the people, because we believe in that. You know, and I'll tell you, as national vice president for District 6, I'm proud of the work that our members do for the federal government that honors and and the contributions and protects the rights of black workers uh, because you know a lot of uh, a lot of the uh, federal agencies like EEO and those are AFGE workers uh, that protect the rights. Right. And as a black man myself, I've seen how far we've come as a country and how much more there is to do in achieving an America that truly lives up to the, to its ideas. Uh, and, you know, to me, Black History Month is a chance to uh, celebrate the contributions that black unionists have made in their communities and in the nation and in the labor movement. Uh, and as I said, I'm proud of AFGE and what we what we contribute and you should be arnold how long have you been a member of afge uh i've been a member of afge since 19 since may of 1987 wow <laughs> that's a long time and uh, how long have you been a national vice president in the sixth district I've been national vice president for 25 years. And, you know, I, I want to say, I, I believe in the 6th District, I'm the first black national vice president. Well, that's that's worthy of a congratulations here well, and a shout-out on America's in, workforce. In the 6th District. That's great. That's super. Yeah. Let me ask you this. Um, do you think you'd be where you are today if it wasn't for the union? You know, I, I've always said that every position that I've held within AFG, it was not because I wanted to hold that position. It was because people asked me to do it. Uh, I mean, as national, I never want to be a national vice president, but the people chose me. <laughs> and, you know, I accepted the, 
the challenge. Uh, mm-hmm. And I'll say that AFG has allowed me to uh, do more than I ever thought I would have done. That's great. That's super. Well, the challenges are still there. You know that, Arnold Scott, don't you? Yes. Yeah, the fight is still on. Uh, yep. Because, I mean, we have, I mean, what the country's going through right now with this uh, president where they're trying to turn the clock back. But, you know, what they need to understand is that we're not going back. We're moving forward. So. Mm-hmm. Now, you've been around, like you said, since 1987. How, how would you gauge the solidarity today in, uh, in AFGE? I mean, we've gone through various presidents, and uh, <laughs> there's been a zigzag. Of, I don't have to get into details. You know exactly what I'm talking about here. But uh-huh. with everything that's been going on, how do you feel about the union going forward, especially this uh, politically charged year? I feel about I feel uh, good about the union. You know, when I first came into AFG, uh, John Sturdivant was the uh, national president, and he was the first black uh, national president that AFG had. And you know, when you talk about uh, national president. I tell people all the time that he is the standard that people gauge uh, the national presidents against, whether they're good, bad. Mm -hmm. Uh, I mean, he had a profound effect on those of us who knew him. I mean, he was a charismatic leader. And, you know, when when he talked, Everybody listen. Arnold, I'm going to leave it on that note. I thank you so much for joining us today. Arnold Scott, 6th District National Vice President of the American Federation of Government Employees National Website, AFGE.org. Well, I thank you for sharing your story and all the work that the members of the American Federation of Government Employees do each and every day. Very, very dedicated, very, very passionate about their work. You take care. We'll talk down the road. Okay, brother? All right, Flash. It's always good to talk to you. All right, we're going to take a quick break. Roxanne Brown is an international vice president at large for the United Steelworkers, and she'll be coming up next. You're listening to America's Workforce with Ed Flash Ferrans. It takes Lyuna to keep America running. Over 70,000 public employees are part of Lyuna, the Laborers International Union of North America delivering critical services such as health care and emergency response, as well as maintaining roads and sanitation systems. Even the National Postal Mail Handlers Union, representing over 47,000 U.S. postal workers, is affiliated with LIUNA. Find out what it takes for LIUNA to keep America running at LIUNA.org. That's L-I-U-N-A dot org. The Ironworkers Great Lakes District Council, consisting of eight ironworker local unions in West Virginia, Pennsylvania, Ohio, and Michigan. We build the skylights and bridges along the Great Lakes. With more work than ever before, the Great Lakes District Council is actively searching out the next great ironworker. Whether it's building the next Intel plant or constructing a bridge to safely connect our great cities along the lake. 
So join the Ironworkers Great Lakes District Council today. Find out how and learn more about the council by visiting IWDistrictCouncil.com. A great union requires a reliable election system. Survey and Ballot Systems is a trusted election partner with more than 30 years of expertise in managing union elections. By partnering with SBS, your union can ensure it gets an auditable process and a high level of customer service. SBS is here to help you conduct your union vote securely, transparently, and with trust building always in mind. Visit SurveyAndBalladSystems.com to learn more. America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the Communication Workers of America. You can find more at cwa-union.org. America's Workforce is sponsored in part by Boyd Watterson Asset Management, LLC. Find out more about our investment solutions tailored to meet the needs of Taft-Hartley funds at boydwatterson.com. America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the United Steelworkers. You can find more at usw.org. America's Workforce Radio is sponsored in part by the International Union of Painters and Allied Trades, District Council 6, representing painters, glazers, drywall finishers, and sign and display industry workers. They remind you that belonging to a union is your right as an American. America's Workforce is presented by the Labor's International Union of North America. Feel the power right now at liuna.org. Now, back to America's Workforce. Here's Ed Flash Ferens. And remember, you can check us out on Facebook or follow us on X, formerly known as Twitter. That would be AWF Union Podcast. AWF Union Podcast. Let's go to line number two. And welcome back to the show, Roxanne Brown. Roxanne is the United Steelworkers International Vice President at Large, where she oversees the union's public policy and legislative agenda as well as its political work. And some congratulations are in order for her. So this month you celebrated 25 years with the Steelworkers. Is that right, Roxanne? I did, in fact. And, and hi, Flash. It's great to be with you today. 25 years with the Steelworkers. It's gone by really fast. And you started, you were telling me um, off the air here, you started as a receptionist. Is that right? I did start as a receptionist and uh, really got the benefit of being mentored by some pretty incredible people and giants within the labor movement who who are from our union. It's it's just an incredible journey. Now, you're originally, you're born in uh, Kingston, Jamaica, and you uh, pretty much grew up in White Plains, New York. But Mm -hmm. as far as getting involved with the Steelers, was there just like a job opportunity there? And uh, you took advantage of it, and you probably are thinking to yourself, my God, I can't believe I'm I'm an international (laughs) vice president at large right now. That's got to be quite an accomplishment. I do pinch myself daily. It's kind of like I'm living a dream because I I have the privilege, really, of being able to do this job. Our members are just, you know, the best, most incredible, hardworking people. And to get the opportunity to do this job on their behalf is just incredible. And I never would have imagined, as you said, starting as a receptionist, that I'd be doing this today, you know. But it's, like I said, it's, it's been an incredible journey. Um, I've learned so much about um, who our members are, what they do, and to be able to represent them, especially in Washington, D.C., and tell their stories, policymakers, and to help impact policy on their behalf is just incredible. And I was like reading your bio at the beginning of the show about what you uh, what you put together. There was that twenty thousand person rally 
mm-hmm. back in 2002 wow. in Washington. <laughs> I mean, that's that's a lot to coordinate. You also uh, testified on workers' behalf before the International Trade Commission. Now, the, these positions, obviously, there was a lot of growth for Roxanne Brown yeah. throughout the years. Mm-hmm. And the steelworkers, you, if you can elaborate on that, and it's so important because, I, I and, and you know I come from a steelworker family. My dad was That's a steelworker. Right. Going back to, uh, my God, 1960s and 70s. He retired in 1975 after about 40-plus years. And uh, it, it steel is in my blood. And you know, Fred mm-hmm. Redman, as you know, is a regular mm-hmm. here on this show. We call it the first Friday with Fred and uh, we've shared a lot of stories about uh, his journey. And I want to talk more ab- about your journey and how the steelworkers, if it wasn't for the union, how they prepared you for it. I mean, you're testifying in Washington. I mean, mm-hmm. some very powerful people there. And you had to be very well groomed when you faced those yeah. people. Can, can we discuss that part? Yeah, you know, I would say my entire, you know, 25 years, right, has been an ongoing education and preparation, Um, you know, especially working in the policy office in Washington, D.C., you're completely steeped in all of the issues, right, that we work on on behalf of our members, from health care to retirement security. You you mentioned the 20,000-person rally. That That was all about steel tariffs. And... No other union utilizes our trade laws, the U.S. trade laws, more than the Steelworkers Union. And so being able to quite literally flash, honestly, grow up in that environment um, and kind of steeped in that type of policy uh, has just been incredible. And so to, to be able to testify before the International Trade Commission many times, you know, um, unfortunately, we sometimes feel like we live there because we, we constantly have to defend our members' jobs and their industries uh, from foreign imports or to be able to testify before Congress, right, on, on a suite of issues has, again, just, just been a privilege and do it as a way of not just, you know, protecting our members' jobs, but building power for our union and for the industries that they work in so that we can actually have these domestic industries for for the long term. And sadly, the International Trade Commission doesn't always do the right thing. We had a story, and you know yeah. about this, with, with our yeah. brothers and sisters in, what was it, West Virginia? Aren't Weirton. they? We're, yeah, we're, we're in steel. Isn't it like 900 jobs there at stake? 900 jobs, and it's just, um, you know, this is this is the heartache that, that these you know, folks are going to have to live there. It's not just the 900 direct jobs, right, of our members who are now trying to figure out what the heck they are going to do now and how they're going to, you know, provide for themselves and their families. But it's also how those jobs impact that community, right? Jobs like those, you know, we describe our members' jobs as some of the last best remaining jobs in this country, and it's not just the wages and the benefits they earn, but it's how those wages impact the local community, right? So, you know, the little mom-and-pop, you know, restaurant that's near the facility, right? The schools that benefit from the tax base, the roads, the hospitals, the libraries, all of that, you know, economy that exists around that facility uh, that benefits from those wages will be impacted. 900 jobs is not a blip. So this is going to have a ripple effect throughout that community, and it's devastating. It's impossible to describe 
the devastation, you know, um, and, you know, our, our union, as, as you mentioned, we really, we tried to really fight hard, um, you know, by, by being party to this case that was brought before the International Trade Commission, and unfortunately, um, the outcome was not what we, what we wanted, and so now we have to, you know, help uh, our members, you know, find a path forward, and it's just, it's just devastating. Yeah, you think about those uh, 900 jobs, you're actually looking at about 5,000, maybe 6,000 jobs because, Mm -hmm. to your point, how other jobs are affected when you lose a good job in manufacturing. And we've seen that, my God, for decades now. It's ridiculous. Absolutely ridiculous. Uh, Anything new with this U.S. Steel buyout from uh, Nippon Steel? I I, I know Dave McCall, president of the Steelworkers, has been very vocal and this, this is an issue of national security. It really is. And I, I hope it could be turned around. Is there anything you could share with us at this point? I think just what you said, you know, uh, it, this is an issue of national security where, you know, we're talking about a, a, a U.S. company, you know, in terms of U.S. steel, um, you know, that makes critical uh, products and materials for a suite of uh, applications when it comes to national security. And we want to make sure that those operations remain U.S. owned. You know, we don't, we don't want to, especially with um, a company that is, is Japanese owned. You know, you mentioned the International Trade Commission. I, I can't tell you how many times uh, we've testified at the ITC where Japan was one of the party countries for a, for a product or a series of products that we were, you know, we were testifying about. And so it's not just national security implications, it's also, you know, how could this potentially impact our trade cases when we file going forward if, if Japan owns U.S. Steel, you know, um, you know, will they not be party to some of the cases that they should be party to um, in terms of looking at domestic industry and how will that impact others in the industry who are being impacted by imports? You know, so there's, there's so many pieces um, you know, to, to all of this. It's something as simple as the Biden administration has a huge, um, you know, kind of call, right, to update our transmission lines across this country. And electrical steel is, is something that's made, you know, by, by U.S. steel. Transmission lines are, are, are pretty critical <laughs> to our nation's infrastructure. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay? And Jeez. so we want, we want that steel made here. And we want that steel made by uh, by domestic producers, right. <laughs> domestically owned producers. So it's it's it's, it's all kinds of um, you know kind of elements like that that were just very that we're very concerned with. And then just overall, there are obligations to our retirees in terms of retirement security, and we want to make sure that those obligations are met. And you know we're not sure that um, that will be the case if if this acquisition were to go through. Roxanne Brown, we have a couple uh, more minutes here left, and I want to talk about the the key wins for the steelworkers and translating that message to your members. It's it's not an easy task. A lot of times they don't understand, uh, and I say this on the show all the time. I mean, look at the first two years of the Biden administration. Great legislation creating literally millions of jobs. I mean, bipartisan infrastructure and jobs act right there i mean it's 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 amazing 
But a lot of members don't seem to understand that. How are we connecting the dots on that, Roxanne? You are highlighting one of our biggest challenges. You know, the, the, the winds abound, right? And we've quite literally never been in this point in, in American history where for the first time ever we have an industrial policy, right? It's something that our union has been calling for uh, for decades upon decades, and now we actually have it. And um, being able to de-wonk it, Flash, <laughs> and take it from, you know, Washington speak and actually put it in a way, uh, to your point, that our members understand is a challenge, right? Especially because uh -huh. a lot of these policies are going to take a little while to unfold. Well, we're taking it to the streets. We're uh, going to be holding a, a series of town halls. It's an effort that we call Your Union, Your Voice, where we have town halls you know, all across the country, and we meet with our members, we talk about the wins that we've had over the last three years, what that means for them, and we answer questions that they have, um, you know, about, about the policies. You know, what is the infrastructure bill? What does this mean for my job at this steel facility or this cement facility or this paper facility? What does it mean for my community in terms of, you know, improved water infrastructure or that bridge that we've been worried about collapsing that's now going to get the money to be fixed. You know, so we're, we're really taking it um, as far down into the weeds as we possibly can with our members so that they understand exactly what this means for them, why, why, why it's a win for them, their jobs, and their communities. And so that, that will begin in April. We'll do that all the way through July. Uh, just to really educate and engage, and we're, and we're looking forward to it. Well, Roxanne, thanks for uh, sharing that information. I got that on my calendar starting in April. You're going to see a lot and hear a lot about what the steelworkers are doing to connect the dots so members know about that good policy that's been coming out of Washington. And you're right. Yeah, right. We've got a manufacturing policy. Let's keep it going. That's what it's all about. Right. Okay. <laughs> right. Roxanne Brown, thank you so much for joining us. Keep up the fight. I know you will. Let's talk down the road. Okay, my sister? Thank you, Flash. I really appreciate it. Have a great day. And that'll be it for another edition of America's Workforce. Coming up on Monday, the Committee of Interns and Residents, part of SEIU, and the Transportation Trades Department of the AFL-CIO. Until then, all of you have a safe and wonderful weekend. That concludes another episode of the America's Workforce Radio Podcast. Thanks for listening, and be sure to subscribe so you never miss a show. America's Workforce is a production of Labor Tools and BMA Media Group. Find out more information online at labortools.com.